Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I'm Rachel, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm aggressively excited for today's episode. And I'm Alicia, my pronouns are she, her. Today we're bringing you the second episode in our ongoing rival series focusing on Katsuhiko Nakajima and Masa Kitamiya, also known by their tag team name, The Aggression. While their tag team has been active on and off throughout the past 12 years, their rivalry has been building to where they are today since their paths crossed for the first time in Kensuke office. They have a really intense, interesting, and often overlooked relationship, so we're excited to share it with you today. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Before we begin, I do want to note that we will be touching on a lot of topics discussed in our last episode, episode 29, Diamond Ring. While we will be repeating a very small amount of information, I would highly recommend listening to that episode first if you have not already done so, as it will provide a lot of context and background for both of these men and the characters they portray throughout this rivalry. I did the majority of the translation for this episode. Our sources, which I list throughout the episode, can be found on our blog, which will be linked in the show notes. I found the majority of my sources through news and interview sites such as PKDX and Tokyo Sports, as well as drawing from my collection of Shukan Pro Wrestling magazines. I said this in our last episode in Diamond Ring, but I've been learning Japanese on and off for about two years. I use a lot of great tools that are available to me, such as the pop-up dictionary Yomi-chan and the sentence parser Ichi.moe. But there's still a lot of work that needs to be done by hand. I worked hard to get a clear and concise translation as misinformation because of machine translating has become a huge problem in the wrestling community. So I'm going to begin with a quick background on both wrestlers. Katsuko Nakajima was born in Fukuoka City of Fukuoka Prefecture on March 11th, 1988. In our last episode on Kensuke Office Diamond Ring, we covered a good portion of Nakajima's background in wrestling and his journey to the world of pro wrestling from a very early age. He officially debuted for Riki Choshu's Fighting of World Japan on January 5th, 2004, before eventually following Kensuke Sasaki and becoming his first pupil in Kensuke Office. Mitsuhiro Kitamiya, now known as Masa Kitamiya, was born on October 27, 1988 in Tonami City of the Toyama Prefecture. This makes him only seven months younger than Katsuko Nakajima, but they debuted over seven years apart, with Kitamiya debuting for Kensuke office on September 25, 2011. Before debuting, however, he was a member of the amateur wrestling club at both Toyama Prefecture Takaoka Commercial High School, and the Momoyama Gakuin University, where he served as team captain of the latter. We also briefly touched on this in our Diamond Ring episode, but on January 30th, 2011, Kitamiya officially took his first test for the Kensuke Office Dojo and endured it to make it in. It is important to note that Nakajima was on the panel for this audition and had approved of Kitamiya's entry to the Kensuke Office Dojo. Despite the two being so close in age, it was apparent just how different their positions were from the very beginning. We talked about this in the last episode on Kensuke Office, but I really do want to press that the training in the Kensuke Office Dojo was very strict. 
Kensuke had gone on record to state that it was inspired by old school dojos and that the training was intense and painful, but it was purposely created to build the strongest wrestlers possible. On June 17th, 2021, in issue number 2127, a writer for the ShuPro editorial department beautifully summed up the training process of the Kensuke Office Dojo, stating, the strictness was the soil that nourished and grew strong professional wrestlers, which I thought was just beautifully put. The writer goes on to describe both Nakajima's and Kitamiya's training and how it shaped them, stating, Nakajima was nurtured and strengthened by the strictness that later became a part of Kensuke office. He learned from Kensuke's teachings with his own body and passed those down to Kitamiya. While some wrestlers, such as Kento Miyahara, who now rules as the ace of All Japan Pro Wrestling, have made their mark after Kensuke office, there have also been many who have fallen out of the ranks and dropped out. Kitamiya, who was taught by the late Masa Saito, endured the rigors of Kensuke office and remained with the organization until March 9th, 2014, the day the office was shut down as a professional wrestling organization after Kensuke's retirement. And they really stress how um, impressive it was that Kitamiya stuck around for so long. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'm just um, sort of always struck by how people interpret this information, which is what Mm -hmm. you and I have been talking about a lot recently because Diamond Ring and Kensuke Office is very topical right now because of the upcoming Tokyo Dome match between Nakajima and Miyahara. So I guess what I want to, I, I suppose, talk about with you here is that it's very interesting that this is so hyped up, that this is just such a difficult dojo to get through. And it's incredible that Masa found it in himself to, to hang on. But I, I just want to remind people listening that this is not unique to dojo systems in Japan, especially dojo systems that still run by that more old school mentality. You cannot find a wrestler from a certain era that has not been through a system like this. You can't, when you look to Noah, Kotaro Suzuki was one of the only, I think he was the only person from his, and he was part of the very first class um, of Noah, of Noah, you know, inductees. He was the only one, I think, that made it during that time period. Kenta was the only person in 99 All Japan to make it out of the people that were chosen then. Suwama was the only person, I think, in the end from his class. Um I can't remember which year now that Suwama went into all Japan, but he was the only person from his, his time to make it to, which we talked about in Suwama's episode um, for kickout. But this is not an unusual thing. Like these dojos are, are incredibly difficult. The training is very rigorous and I'm not necessarily endorsing how rigorous it is, but I think that there's this perception that perhaps Kensuke office and the way that uh, Sasaki and also, uh, Masa Saito, the way that they taught was more rigorous than other dojos. And I think that perception is actually quite untrue. Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. I think that these, and we'll talk about this throughout the episode, these two sort of have created their story surrounding um, dojo life and the rigorous training. And it sort of has painted this perception of it being something exceptionally hard whereas it's more them just 
making it their story, if that makes sense. I, I think you're a hundred percent right that there really wasn't anything unusual about this. I mean, you see dropouts even today, um, like the LA dojo down with uh, Shibata, you know, he, he had, he talks in interviews about how many dropouts he's had. Um, so it's, it's still very much um, common practice for these people to drop out because the system is just very difficult. And I think that the reason why we perhaps see so many of the wrestlers, you know, talk about how rigorous it was in a certain way, especially people like Nakajima or Masa, there is a point of pride in that. And I think that speaks actually to uh, Japanese culture in that being able to really just buckle down on something and grit through something and say that you, you know, you got through something like this dojo system. I think that speaks to um, what people sort of prize and, you know, hold in some sort of esteem culturally, perhaps. And that's why we hear about it in a certain way with, with people like Nakajima and Masa as well. But I just wanted to point that out because I feel like we see a lot of stuff on Twitter of, of people making this into like a thing where people are talking behind their hands about oh, what happened in, in Kensuke office. And it's like, well, it happened. It happened in New Japan. It happened in Noah. Like, you know, it's, it's, you cannot make it about that this stuff was just happening, you know, the rigorous training in Kensuke office and diamond ring, because you can't find a wrestler, especially from um, the last couple gens to come through. I think it's really only in the, the very recent gens that we're starting to see where dojo life has, has changed dramatically. But for these guys, it was that old school, very rigorous training. You're doing, you know, a thousand squats a day sort of thing. And yeah, that's, that's tough, but it's not unique to Ken's K office. Yeah. Beautifully said. During their time together in Kensuke office, Nakajima and Kitamiya fought together in the ring many times. However, they only had two singles matches, both as a part of their Diamond Ring hometown match dojo shows. While these matches were never taped, I was able to find transcriptions of the post-match comments thanks to the ShuPro editorial department in ShuPro issue number 2127. Their first singles match was on March 20th, 2013 a whole year and a half after Kitamiya's debut. As such, Kitamiya had already learned a lot of the basics and was beginning to develop his own character and style. After winning, Nakajima stated afterwards, he has his own style of fighting, so I don't want him to change that. I want him to create his own style of fight. It was noted by the writer of this editorial that he was very encouraging of his junior. Their second singles match was a bittersweet one. On March 9th, 2014, this was the very last Kensuke Office Diamond Ring match ever held while the company was active. Just before this match, Akira Hokuto held a press conference on March 4th, stating that Diamond Ring would go into dormancy and that Masa Kiyomiya would be making the official move to Noah in April. So in a lot of ways, this was Kitamiya's sort of graduation match. And there was no better person to send him off than the sole remaining member of Kensuke office and his senpai, Katsuko Nakajima. Afterwards, Kitamiya stated, I will try to make a huge mark in the pro wrestling world. So I will continue to push forward with the go for broke, hit and break spirit that Masa Saito gave to me. Even after signing officially with Noah in 2014, Kitamiya tagged fairly frequently with Nakajima, who at the time was still affiliated with Kensuke Office Diamond Ring. In between May and September 2014, the two tagged together five times, losing every single time. For the most part, Kitamiya at this time was the rookie pin eater, 
with Nakajima taking the lead in most of their tag matches as the more experienced wrestler. I find it interesting that the two were still teaming together, despite Kitamiya no longer being Kensuke Office in name. Even though he had signed to Noah as a full roster member, the association was still there. This came to an end, however, on October 10th, 2014, where the two had their third singles match and the first one to make tape at the SEM-EX show, SEM-EX in Shinjuku Volume 3, which took place at Shinjuku Face. The first thing that struck me about this match was the utter lack of handshake in the beginning. Both men stared at each other in a fighting stance, ready to strike. There was a very specific familiarity to that, and you could instantly tell that the lack of handshake wasn't out of disrespect. Rather, it was simply out of habit. This match looked identical to maybe how a sparring session might have looked in the Kensuke office dojo, both men just communicating completely wordlessly. About four minutes into the match, you slowly start to see more and more fire and determination from Kitamiya, standing up immediately after suplexes and pulling himself to his feet to face down his senior. There's one spot where Kitamiya managed to dodge Nakajima with a combat roll before leveling Nakajima to the mat, and he got this huge reaction from the crowd, everyone rooting for the rookie to pull off the impossible against his senior. Kitamiya's crowd connection was already just very, very strong here, and it's only going to grow stronger throughout the years. Throughout the match, Nakajima kept encouraging Kitamiya to show him more and more, beckoning to him or yelling at him. He would always mirror Kitamiya's moves as well, especially with elbows. Kitamiya gave Nakajima his all, but Nakajima was responding to that by giving it all right back with even more power and expertise. You really got the sense that both of these men were deeply familiar with each other and were responding to each other's sense of fighting, and I quote, with all your might, which was a common phrase of Kensuke Sasaki. We talked about that a lot in the last episode. Towards the end, Kitamiya's fighting spirit hit a fever pitch after a huge suplex from Nakajima. Kitamiya screamed in determination and made his way to his feet to take more punishment and attempt to break the wall that was Nakajima. After 11 minutes and 42 seconds, Mitsuhiro Kitamiya lost. The post-match was full of respect from Nakajima, providing an ice pack for his junior and insisting on holding up his hand in victory, even if Kitamiya was clearly not interested in these showings of camaraderie from his senior. After this, they didn't see each other at all in the ring until their next singles match on December 14, 2014, during a NOAA show in Kochi, Japan. This match did not make tape, but Noah's Twitter noted the determined and sharp look in Kitamiya's eyes as he took on his, and I quote, first dojo senior. This match was the first match in Kitamiya's five-match trial series, which was called Mitsuhiro Kitamiya Fortitude Bokutotsu Five-Match Series. Bokutotsu is a term in Japanese that means naive or ruggedly honest and refers to Kitamiya's inexperience at the time. I completely forgot about this series until you were going back and through all this stuff. It just it was really interesting to think about. Yeah, it's I totally forgot. And I forgot how significant it was too, which we'll talk about in just a second. The significance of Nakajima being his first trial, however, is really uh, huge to me. Being his first senpai in wrestling 
and one of the three people who had oversaw his audition to the Kemsky office dojo. So it's really no accident that he was the gatekeeper on the path to Kitamiya becoming a full-fledged wrestler. Kitamiya lost this match in a little over 13 minutes and would go on to lose all five of his trial matches, which is totally normal for a rookie wrestler. However, this trial series still proved deeply important, and this is the part I forgot, as shown in Kitamiya's fifth and final trial on January 10th, 2015, against Takeshi Morishima. He lost the match, but Morishima was impressed with Kitamiya and offered him a position in his unit, Chokibogun, or the Super Violent Army. Kitamiya accepted, and for the first time in his career, he was on a path separate from Katsuko Nakajima, with both men in unique units of keenly different ideologies, as Nakajima was in Marafuji's Brave at the time. On October 17, 2015, the two had their fifth singles match. This was a B-block match in the 2015 Global League, which was Kitamiya's very first Global League. Nakajima defeated Kitamiya in 11 minutes, winning his first two points for the tournament and leaving Kitamiya with nothing. Nakajima ended this tournament with eight points, while Kitamiya ended with only two, defeating only Takashi Izuka by disqualification. Despite crawling his way up the wrestling world for four years at this point, the distance between Kitamiya and Nakajima is still just very, very tangible. On August 25th, 2015, Nakajima announced on his blog that he had left Diamond Ring and decided to work completely as a freelancer. Then, on December 24th, he announced that he would be joining Pro Wrestling Noah. Also on December 24th, 2015, Naomichi Marafuji announced the disbandment of all units in Noah, aiming to unite the roster against the invading Suzuki-gun. This effectively ended the distance between Nakajima and Kitamiya, as now they were no longer in two separate units. Then, on January 1st, 2016, Nakajima became an official member of the NOAA roster, ending any separation that the two had, now fully members of Pro Wrestling NOAA. Both men began to evolve separately and as a duo. On April 11th, 2016, Kitamiya held a press conference with NOAA to announce that he would be changing his name to Masa Kitamiya, as a homage to Kensuke Office athletic advisor and wrestling legend Masa Saito. He was granted direct permission from Saito-san, being told, I am battling Parkinson's disease and working towards a comeback, so let's work together. Don't give up on professional wrestling. This type of feeling and refusing to back down or give up has come to define Masakita Mia's philosophy in the ring and is a huge mark of his personality, so I really just wanted to include that quote. Meanwhile, Nakajima began to make more and more of a mark as a singles competitor in NOAA, including a massive win over Minoru Suzuki on February 24, 2016, and an unsuccessful but incredible challenge for Sugiura's GHC heavyweight title on March 19, 2016. It's interesting to, I guess, reflect on how Masa signed with NOAA first right and you know Nakajima there seemed to be some reluctance there to give up the diamond ring banner toward the end there and then he comes into Noah and his trajectory starts to immediately take off right very very different I think from Masa's experience coming into Noah which is interesting it sort of I think lays a little bit of the foundation 
for things they can use in their own kayfabe later on as well. It's just building off of, I think, feelings that maybe began, as we'll come to discuss, in Diamond Ring, and then I think expands later into what they end up doing in Noah together. Yeah, it's really interesting, um, both the reluctance to give up the uh, Diamond Ring Kensuke office name, which we talked about in the last episode and we'll talk about um, later on, but also that like immediate um, trajectory in the way that Nakajima just sort of takes off versus how Kitamiya is really just being treated like a rookie um, from, from the beginning there. So I'm really glad you brought that up. As a team, they started teaming frequently throughout the first part of the year. Then in April of 2016, they participated in their first global tag league, ending with six points. While this episode aims to focus more on their rivalry and how it was born, it's vital to note that at this point, their tag team was very much, just like we said before, that outward dynamic of a senior, Nakajima, and his junior, with Kitamiya taking the majority of the pins throughout the league. This led to them getting sort of middling results. They do, however, find some success, gaining some solid wins over Suzuki-gun and even unsuccessfully challenging the GHC heavyweight tag champions, Naomichi Marafuji and Tori Yano, on July 16th, 2016. In a 2018 Champion Talk interview for ShoePro issue number 1950, Kitamiya looks back on this era and states, but without weakening and without giving up, we kept going like we were obsessed. Even in Noah, I think we are the strongest ones. At this point, it became clear that these two were not only tightly linked together, but it was also clear that they were absolutely determined to become the future of Noah together. This became even clearer after Nakajima won the GHC heavyweight title on October 23, 2016 against Kashi Sugiura. Soon after, Minoru Suzuki himself challenged the young Nakajima to his title on December 2nd. He lost and Sugiura turned against him and sided with pro wrestling Noah, effectively driving out Suzuki-gun once and for all with Katsuko Nakajima at the helm of this new era. At this point, Noah was in a state of disrepair. We've talked about this at length throughout a lot of our past episodes, but it truly cannot be understated with just how uncertain the future of Noah appeared to be after the departure of Suzuki-kun with slipping attendance numbers and a lack of star power to really draw in crowds. According to Hikaru Inoue's Noah show coverage in Shupro issue number 1884, on January 11th, 2018, Nakajima had a two-step plan to restore the arc. The first, of course, was to drive out Suzuki-gun, which he managed to accomplish in defeating Suzuki. The second was to, and I quote, make the wrestling of Misawa's Noah stronger by creating hot fights with an exciting offense that could create a bright light for Noah's future. If Inoue is listening to this, he is welcome to come on to the podcast at any time. Oh, <laughs> we oh. are big Inouye fans. Absolutely. he's uh, He does incredible work on commentary too. Um, it's just a delight to listen to and a delight always to read. On December 3rd, Kitamiya challenged Nakajima for the GHC heavyweight title, a match that Nakajima eagerly accepted 
for the 24th of December. This match promised to create the kind of fight that Nakajima was looking for. The first hints of this came on December 14th in Shinjuku, when Masakita Miya shockingly tapped out his senior to a prison lock after attacking the weak left knee of Nakajima, which became an important element of their title match. This match is stunning in a lot of ways. You can tell just how much it meant to Nakajima right from the beginning with him closing his eyes to refocus himself both on the way to the ring and just before the bell rang. Once again, there was no handshake, but there was also no slow sparring-like start to this either. Both men locked up immediately, and Kitamiya took no time to show Nakajima his heat and determination. This worked perfectly towards Nakajima's own goals of creating an exciting fight for the next generation. However, you can sense in this match that perhaps Kitamiya's goals were not entirely aligned with his tag partner. Kitamiya was defiant and fierce, as always, and he had a plan to almost single-mindedly focus on Nakajima's injured left knee. He had full knowledge of Nakajima's body and skills and was ready to take this match to the next level and overcome his senior. Kitamiya is a master of single-target limb work, and he was absolutely remorseless here, using his strength advantage to the fullest extent. However, Nakajima was not holding back either and made absolutely no attempt to slow down. There were parts of this match where it became apparent that Kitamiya was physically stronger, but Nakajima was just outright more experienced and more adaptable. Midway through the match, about 12 minutes in, Nakajima found it unbearable to keep kicking with his left leg. He then switched over to his right leg for the remainder of the match, showing an ability to work around Kitamiya's plans that ended up allowing Nakajima to continue through the match and endure. And eventually, Nakajima landed enough devastating kicks to weaken his opponents for a vertical spike, and he put Kitamiya away. It wasn't that Kitamiya was weak in this match, even if he never came exactly close to winning. It was just that Nakajima was the senior and Kitamiya was the junior. Nakajima was just more experienced and the natural order of things took its course. Something I absolutely loved and found really interesting about Inoue's coverage of this match in Shupro 1884 was that he had a lot to say about Kitamiya specifically and how he built this match with his, and I quote, feelings, facial expressions, and solid attacks. He goes on to state that this style, with full inflection and emotional expression, was cultivated in the Suzuki-gun era. It is not a style that was seen in previous Noah fights, which I thought was fascinating. So interesting. Inoue compared this match to the semifinal before this one, which is a heartfelt and intense singles match between Marafuji and Sugira, who we have come to know as real Noah, so that's very interesting. He writes about how that match was more typical of Noah's traditional style and an intense battle of wits between two men trying to use their own strengths to their advantage. Conversely, he writes that Nakajima and Kitamiya's match was more about trying to, and I quote, steal the audience's hearts. The primary example that Inoue used was actually Masa Kitamiya's famous buru buru no-sell 
where he shakes and hums emphatically while shaking off an intense attack. Inouye notes that this is not something that would have ever been well-received in an era of Noah before Suzuki-gun. If you have time to make an appeal, he writes, you were expected to attack instead. However, you can see very plainly in this match that all of Masa's moments like this are insanely well-received, with the audience delighting and cheering joyously with the man's constant defiance of Nakajima's attacks. This match felt, in that way, like a new genre of Noah. It was a perfect mix of the days of old and the Suzuki-gun era. A new style of wrestling in Noah had been born between these two, and Inoue saw this match as something that could bring forth a new and brighter era of Noah, seeing both men as symbols of hope. This was such a great write-up to include. A lot of what Inoue puts to words here are not things that I think I would have ever been able to do myself, but it's so interesting to reflect on certain things that he notes that these two were meant to get to the hearts of fans. And it's interesting that it seems like certain things do work, right? That there is a tangible shift in style during this era coming out of the the end of the Zugigun era, which you can definitely see, but, and this is like something for a completely different episode, but it's just interesting to note that this falls in Katsuhiko's first GHC heavy rain, which if you know something of that, rain for him didn't go particularly well but this was also an extremely difficult era of Noah to be around for and one where like the hopes and dreams for success were sort of hinged on this very young man kind of being able to be successful and having this thrust on him so just just so interesting I really loved reading that um he said if you have time to make an appeal you are expected to attack instead which feels like that makes sense, especially from like that all Japan mentality as well. Um, that that makes a ton of sense, but it was cool to see anyway, put that into words and to reflect on that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask if you sort of agreed with Inoue's read there that it was a uh, different era or a different uh, genre of match from um, old Noah, which obviously takes a lot from all Japan. So I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, 100%. Like, even if you just go, even if you don't have the familiarity with all Japan in different eras, and you just focus on early Noah, and I'm talking like the earliest years of Noah, people aren't doing things like Masa's doing. They they just aren't, but it's not something I would have naturally thought about until this write-up with the way that Inoue phrases these things. So it's just super, super cool. I love it. Yeah, Nakajima seemed to feel that this match, you know, went well and worked towards those goals of creating that you know, new era and that new hope we were talking about. After the match, Nakajima was the first to extend his hand, looking for a handshake from Kitamiya. After some hesitation as he attempted to steady himself, Kitamiya finally returned the showing of respect. On mic, Nakajima thanked Kitamiya for the match and swore to push Noah into the future with the help of both the GHC title and his junior. However, Kitamiya said backstage, it's not over yet. I can't keep letting myself get beat up. 2017 will be the same as 2016. I'll start with a counterattack. Keep an eye out. I think the contrast here between the two of them is fascinating. Nakashima has a feeling of camaraderie and optimism towards the future 
and his determination to build something with Masa. This match was exactly what he had envisioned for his plan to revitalize the arc. However, Masa's grit during this match and his hesitation to shake Nakajima's hand and his frustrated words backstage paint a slightly different picture. Hidamiya so clearly did not want to be seen as a mere junior to Nakajima, but as an equal or to even surpass him. The match may have gone Nakajima's way, but Hidamiya had a different vision for the future. For the first time, you can really start to see that Masa's own desire to overcome Nakajima might not be in line with Nakajima's own goals. Even at their most in sync, their vision for their team was distinctly different. However, they do continue tagging together even after this match. In fact, it seemed their determination to build a new era together only grew stronger and stronger. In April 2017, Hidamiya and Nakajima took part in the 2017 Global Tag League. They started the tournament with a four-match winning streak, including a victory over the reigning GHC Tag Team Champions Maybach Taniguchi and Naomi Chimara Fuji. However, they unfortunately could not keep up the momentum, and a big loss against Akatoshi Saito and Mohamed Yone on the final day prevented them from reaching the finals. On August 26, 2017, Nakajima lost the GHC Heavyweight Championship to Eddie Edwards. However, the two did not lose that momentum for very long. Just before Global Tag League 2018, the two had a chance to challenge for the GHC tag titles held by Mohamed Yone and Quiet Storm on March 11th after Nakashima TKO'd both champions with swift and brutal kicks to the head. <laughs> on this, <laughs> he is succinct, that man. On this, Nakashima had an interview on March 5th for NOAA's official website and states, In the present situation, we are going to break free of our past losses. I might have had to struggle through muddy water, but I'm not giving up. I grabbed a third opportunity at the titles with tenacity, and I am going to dedicate myself to the aggression as a way of life. On Kinamiya, he states, I respect him as a wrestler. We are a well-balanced team as we both have something the other does not have, which is something both men frequently have said about each other. On March 11th, 2018, at Great Voyage in Yokohama, Nakajima and Kitamiya defeated Yone and Storm to win the GHC Tag Team Championship for the first time. In Shupro issue 1950, from April 11th, 2018, Nakajima talks about this win, his team with Nakajima, and the 2018 Global Tag League. In this piece, beautifully translated by Puro Dino, Kitamiya states, like I said in Yokohama on March 11th, when we took the belts, perhaps we're finally off to a start as a tag team since we first formed the aggression three years ago. Nakashima and I have been through a lot together, so it's heartening to have him as a partner. He's watched me practice in the dojo since the time I joined the business through good times and bad times. His good points are probably the qualities I don't have. He rarely wants to put things off for later. He has a lot of energy. It's nice now. I haven't thought about this since I was a rookie, he says with a wry laugh. And the bad points, well, I certainly can't talk about them here. I found this in particular extremely interesting. 
We'll talk about this later, but Kitamiya has a habit of sidestepping the things that he does not like about Nakajima. This has recurred through a good chunk of his career, even while they're tagging together. He then continues on their bond together and their impact as a tag team in NOAA. We belonged to the same dojo when we were trainees. Nakajima and All Japan's Kento Miyahara had that senpai kohai relationship with me in the industry, just those two. Of course, with other people, I don't have the same bond. Other teams change up partners in quick succession, don't they? But staying the course, we took the belt. Well, I've taken the GHC tag title with other partners other than Nakajima. He hasn't done that, he says with a wry laugh. <laughs> the champion team has changed at a dizzying rate around here recently, hasn't it? While we're both also aiming for singles matches, we've been racking up a number of tag wins, like we're building an era. Because it feels like, more than any others, as a tag team, we've got a degree of completion and we're heating up. We're aiming to keep on reigning for a long time. It's wrong for us both to give up. But I think it's precisely because we have a firm belief in ourselves that we hold the belts. I want it to reach a point where, when you talk about the NOAA tag titles, you're talking about the aggression. Would have been nice if they reached that, but... We shall see. We'll see. Yeah, still still early days. <laughs> From March 18th until April 9th, 2018, Global Tag League took place, and the aggression finished the tournament with a record of three wins, two losses, and two draws, failing to advance to the finals. After losing to Keno and Takashi Sugiura on the final day of the tournament, they then lost the GHC Tag Team Championship to Go Shiyazaki and Kaido Kiyomiya on April 29th in their first title defense at the Great Voyage in Niigata before regaining it on May 29th from that very same team. They then, once again, on the first defense, lost the titles to Naomichi Marafuji and Akitoshi Saito on July 28th. So despite the fierce optimism and dedication to their tag team, these two did not have an easy path with the belt. They were not without their personal issues either. One thing that Alicia stated that really sticks out to me <laughs> is that, do you want to say it? <laughs> these two always have the vibe of they're just one bad day away from utter chaos, just from that thing that sets them both off and then they've broken up one of the best examples of this sort of dysfunctional relationship was during a uh, match that we actually watched really recently and that was a four-way match between Kitamiya, Nakajima, Sugiura, and Masato Tanaka on November 19th 2017. In this match you can see a lot of Kitamiya and Nakajima's dysfunctional dynamic. They never show real malice towards each other but they can really never put aside their desire to win, to really work together for very long. In the end, their own ambitions to win the four-way always took over and led to just bickering between the two. They look like two kids trying to like fight each other off at all times, even when trying to work together in that match. It's a really fun four-way, but they have such a distinct energy of even when they're working together, they're not really working together in that match. 
And it's, it's really interesting because, uh, of course, Sugira and Tanaka are also tag team partners and they work together so much better in the match. And, and they're even like, they go off together at the end of the match. Whereas you don't see that out of the aggression <laughs> at all. <laughs> Another very important thing to know in terms of character is Katsuko Nakajima's extreme character change that took place starting in late 2017. After losing the belt to Edwards, Nakajima began to change and embrace a darker side to himself. By the time he challenged for Sugira's title on October 4th, 2018, he had become a nearly completely different person from the respectful senior that Kitamiya had faced on December 24th, 2016. In an article for Tokyo Sports on September 11th, 2018, Nakajima discusses this character change, and I find it extremely interesting and relevant towards the singles match between him and Kitamiya that follows this. As for the villainous style that has been following since the spring, Nakajima stated, This is my true self, so I can't help but have fun with it. I haven't fully expressed all of my true self yet. For the title match against Sugiura, I'm going to let myself go even more. His lifestyle also changed drastically. The regular lifestyle, systematic training, and well-balanced diet that he had maintained since his days at Kensuke office have all been changed, Nakajima said. I eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it. I sleep when I want to sleep. I only practice when I feel like it. I'm letting go of my old self by living a selfish life. I love this. It's so funny. It's such deep kayfabe. This man had two children at home when he said this. And, but I, I love it though, because like he really was working so hard to shed that image of himself that was created, you know, when he was coming up with uh, Sasaki and Hokuto and doing the Kensuke office and diamond ring stuff. But that was a big part of his image that, that regimented Nakajima, who, you know, did everything, you know, kind of perfectly for the results that he was looking for. So it's just, it's funny that he had to wind that into the, the kayfabe of the character change. I'm like, still obsessed that he said that, and especially because it's just bullshit, which is like, why it's (laughs) so much funnier? God. It's, it's so good. It's so good. And the author states, and I love this quote, He's like a delinquent who has become a bit of a punk during his summer vacation, which is just really funny, but extremely accurate. Because that's what he's that's what he's looking for, is that he was an honor student, but now he's like a cool delinquent. This selfishness and embracing of one's true self is something that can be seen in every single match from Nakajima during this time period. However, nothing exhibits it better than the Global League 2018 match between Masakita Mia and Katsuko Nakajima on November 22nd, 2018, which is also the match that ends up starting there, and Alicia said it perfect, one bad day, and leads to the first disbandment of the aggression. This match is easily one of my favorites of their rivalry and is remarkably important to who they are as characters. Nakajima entered this match with a chance to make it to the finals of the tournament right then and there, already with eight points. All he had to do was defeat his tag team partner and his junior, Masa Kitamiya. Kitamiya, however, entered this match determined to prove his own worth against his senior. At the beginning of this match, Nakajima did offer a handshake to Kitamiya. 
However, we will never know if it was in earnest or if he had a trick up his sleeve because Kitamiya did not return it. Instead, he gave Nakajima an extremely pointed fuck you gesture <laughs> at the end of his rope with his sadistic partner. While a lot of Nakajima's behavior in this match wasn't unusual for him at the time, it's interesting to compare this match to his 2016 title match with Kitamiya and just how little respect he gave his junior. In contrast to their past matches, Nakajima did not start out with any grappling, which harkens back to the quote of Nakajima stating that he had done away with all his habits from Kensuke office. Instead, Nakajima toyed with Kitamiya, rolling out of the ring early on and walking around the ring at an agonizing pace while Kitamiya watched, increasingly annoyed. Once the match got underway, however, it became a show of Nakajima brutalizing his junior as Kitamiya continually fought back with his own brand of underdog brutality. Nakajima was in control a good majority of the time, with Kitamiya struggling to get enough offense in to make a difference. Everything Nakajima threw at him was so cruel and uncaring, including delivering lazy half-hearted kicks to Kitamiya, but when Kitamiya would fire back from those kicks, Nakajima would deliver a real, hard, brutal kick in exchange, reminding Kitamiya that he could destroy the other man if he really wanted to. He was continually serving a vicious reminder of their positions, senior and junior. You'd never be able to guess that they were still tagging if you did not have that context walking in. There's one haunting part of this match. It always sticks with me. About 12 minutes in, Hidemiya's body had really begun to feel the effects of Nakajima's vicious assault. Nakajima delivered a vertical spike brainbuster to Kitamiya, and Kitamiya's body laid limp on the mat sadly. But instead of trying to make a cover, Nakajima stood over him, watching, lording over him. Even as Kitamiya began to crawl to the ropes, Nakajima only watched, waiting for Kitamiya to regain consciousness before sitting him down for a round of brutal kicks. This was Nakajima's self-proclaimed true self. This was the selfish Nakajima who did whatever he wanted in the moment. This was the Nakajima who had done away with the respect and formalities of the past. So this is interesting, that act of him sort of taking the opportunity to not go for a cover and just stand there. That always means something in wrestling. With Nakajima... He has done that before because he's toying with someone and you see this kind of beautifully illustrated in a match I really enjoyed from that N1, the first one that he won in a match with uh, Taniguchi. He has the match won. He chooses not to go for the cover because he's playing with Taniguchi and he's making a big show of this and then he pays for it because Taniguchi has time to recover, comes back and then just like just pummels Nakajima until the end of that match which was deservedly so. So you have that example of it. But there's other times when you see it where it's not about, it's never about winning, you know, when people don't go for the cover like that. A lot of the time it's about, it's about something else. And I just find this really interesting, but the way that you, you know, you've kind of beautifully illustrated it is that Nakajima really is trying to make a show of where Masa stands with him specifically. And it's a very interesting thing that carries on, I think, from here through 
the rest of their relationship. But it's funny because when we talked about them towards the beginning of this episode, that wasn't necessarily always present in Nakajima with him, at least not overtly so. It's taken to this point in some ways for him to really be demonstrating this in a very cruel way, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no. Um, the one thing you had you know, mentioned, wrote down was that, you know, a lot of times with Nakajima, it's either hubris or it's anger. And in this match, there's sort of a debate over which one it is. And it's interesting. I've thought on that and I stewed on that. And I think here it really is hubris. There really is that arrogance. He thinks he has the tournament won. He just has to defeat this guy that, you know, his is junior. And, um, you know, there's no problem in that. He's putting he's putting Kitamiya in his place. He's reminding him, you know, you're the junior. There's, there's a hubris there. Um, but I think at this point on, after this, it's never hubris anymore. When he does things like that, I think it evolves to anger. So that's something really, I'm glad you pointed that out because it's really interesting to think about how this is the first and last time with Nakajima that he shows Kitamiya that pride and that hubris. Mm -hmm. So Kitamiya at this point had had enough. He managed to grab Nakajima's leg and get him into the prison lock giving him an opening to start assaulting Nakajima's knees. He then made short work of every opening that Nakajima gave him, finally leveling Nakajima with a fierce lariat and delivering a body press to Nakajima's knee. Nakajima kicked out, but Kitamiya used the momentum to turn it into another prison lock, showing more ring savviness than he had in their last singles match. Kitamiya was learning not only to overcome, but to adapt. And Nakajima had no choice but to give up, defeated by his junior for the first time ever. So there you go, having uh, his arrogance uh, cost him a match. Kinemiya grabbed the mic as Nakajima was escorted out of the arena and stated, I'm not looking to drag anyone down and I'm not looking to assist anyone. I'm only looking to crush my opponents. Backstage, as transcribed on PKDX, Nakajima stated simply, I didn't think that Kitamiya would be the one to stop me. He was completely incredulous that Kitamiya knocked him out of his chance at the finals. However, Kitamiya was not the one to end it all between the aggression, interestingly enough. The next day, there was a tag match between Kitamiya, Nakajima, and Keno, taking on the older generation team of Akatoshi Saito, Naomichi Marafuji, and Shiro Koshinaka. This match unfortunately did not make tape, but I read several detailed match summaries on different news sites and realized how crucial it was to the overall storytelling of the aggression. During the match, Kitamiya rescued Nakajima from an attack by the three older wrestlers, but Nakajima would not have any of it. He kicked Masa and knocked him down and then threw him out of the ring going on to defeat Saito on his own with a surprise Frankensteiner. After the victory, he left the ring quickly, abandoning the bewildered Kitamiya. It's remarkable to me that the inciting incident was not only Kitamiya's victory from the day before, but Kitamiya rescuing Nakajima during this match. It wasn't simply losing that upset Nakajima, it was being saved by the man that was meant to be his junior. Backstage, also transcribed on PKDX, 
Nakajima was asked by reporters if he would continue teaming with Kitamiya in the future. And Nakajima was rather coy about the whole thing, stating, I don't know about that. I think it's about time, he said, hinting that he was simply done with Kitamiya and ready to try something new. After, on Twitter, Kitamiya stated, Every action is incomprehensible, selfish, and irresponsible. Do as you please, Katsuko Nakajima. Sounds like poetry. It is. It was a very poetic post. (laughs) This is a bit fascinating because it really seems like the final straw there was Nakajima. If he accepted the help, it would have been acknowledging Masa as his equal in that relationship. And that's something he was not prepared to do. And so they were done. Yeah, that was exactly it. And that really struck me. I was really surprised. And uh, like I said, I don't think this match ever made tape, but I would really like to see if anyone has any like video of that at all. I would love to see it. After this, the two truly went their separate ways. On November 25th, 2018, despite Kitamiya beating him, Nakajima made it to the Global League Finals anyway, after Marufuji sustained an injury and had to forfeit his spot to the winner of a three-way match earlier that show. During the finals against Kaito Kiyomiya, Go Shiyazaki seconded Nakajima. Nakajima began regularly teaming with Shiyazaki in a team that would later be known as Axes. Kitamiya, on the other hand, started teaming up again with former Chokibogun member and former tag partner Keno, even challenging Shiyazaki and Nakajima for the vacant tag belts on December 7th. Kitamiya would challenge for the belts against this team once again on March 10th, 2019 with Eddie Edwards and was once again unsuccessful. He later started teaming up with trainee Yoshiki Inamura on March 20th, 2019, even competing in the 2019 Global Tag League with him in April of 2019. And then on May 4th, 2019, the two would become founding members of Keno's brand new unit at the time, Congo. I find it interesting that during this time period, Kitamiya jumps around between a variety of tag partners, which is something that has continued with him to this very day. He can work with just about anyone, and that's a huge strength of his. But it's interesting to contrast that to his comments from 2018, where he claimed that a strength of the aggression was that they didn't ever change partners and didn't give up on their team in specific. The thing I really want to note during this time period, however, is how you can see a noticeable shift in the way these two talk about each other. While the aggression breaking up was almost unceremonious, it's clear that it affected both men deeply in different ways. Kitamiya often neatly sidestepped the topic of Nakajima, as he did before, but his distaste for him was not a secret. One example was on January 24th, 2020, where Kongo had a fan meeting in Osaka, and a fan asked about Kitamiya's hatred for Nakajima, which Kitamiya neatly sidestepped it once again, but he didn't deny it, simply stating, now it's not the time to talk about that. Meanwhile, Nakajima went in almost the opposite direction. In backstages, he began to refer to Kitamiya as his cute junior with a smug grin, laying on thick the fondness that he had for his junior. He even voted for Kitamiya as best mic work in Noah's 2020 superlatives event for PKDX. When asked to explain his choice for PKDX's article released on April 23rd, 2020, 
Nakashima responded, that's what I've always loved about him. His affection combined with his slick, dark wolf character paints moments like this as distinctly condescending, reminding Kitamiya time and time again that he would be nothing more than a junior to him. On August 30th, 2020, Nakashima shockingly turned on Go Shiyazaki to join Kongo. I know Alicia and I both have a lot to say on this moment and storyline between Shiyazaki and Nakajima, and will do so later in 2023, so look out for that. What is most interesting here, though, is that Nakajima joining Kongo left whispered promises of a reunion between him and his former tag team partner, Masakita Mia. However, neither man made such moves immediately. Both men focused on their own singles ambitions in separate blocks of the N1 victory. Then afterwards, N1 winner Nakajima went on to focus on Go Shiyazaki ahead of their title match on November 22nd. Kitamiya turned towards different tag team ambitions, unsuccessfully challenging tag champions Sugiura and Sakuraba on October 28th with Manabu Soya. During this time, they rarely acknowledged each other, even during tag matches where they were on the same side. There was a deliberate move to keep them working together professionally, but not in the same close capacity as before. However, before the N1, Kitamiya did sit down with PKDX on September 9th, 2020 for a special interview about the tournament. At the very end of the interview, the interviewer does manage to ask about Nakajima, saying, Kongo expanded its power before the N1, and Katsuhiko Nakajima joined, a man who you claimed you have hated since your debut. This shows that Kitamiya's hatred at this point is something of an open secret in the world of Paresu, and adds a level of intrigue to Nakajima now being a member of Kongo. However, Kitamiya once again sidesteps the conversation and refuses to give the press much to work off of, stating, I am focused on the N1, which is an individual competition. I'm not sure about much else. I guess we'll see what happens in the ring from now on. Cleverly urging viewers to keep an eye on both him and his senior. The answer, however, did not come from either Nakajima nor Kitamiya, but rather Congo leader Keno. At this point, Keno becomes an important supporting player in their drama, which continues to this day. On November 24th, 2020, just two days after Nakajima's loss to Shiyazaki, Keno held a press conference announcing the card for of his third Congo produced show, Diamond 3. For this installment of the popular series, Keno chose each match on the card and had thoughts on each one. In the fourth match, Nakajima and Kitamiya were announced to team up against Kinyo Okada and Yoshiki Inamura. In the very first time, Nakajima and Kitamiya had teamed up as a duo after Nakajima joined Kongo. On this, Keno states, Have you ever seen Nakajima and Kitamiya team up, just the two of them, after they both became Kongo? Maybe they don't like each other, even though they're both Kongo, and haven't wanted to team up yet? Masakitamiya said a little while ago that he hates Nakajima from the bottom of his heart. I wonder what the two can create together. He goes on to state, and Masakitamiya and Katsuko Nakajima, didn't they spend time together at the same dojo in Kensuke office? Inamura and Okada are now in the same dojo, right? I'm looking forward to this kind of story. 
Furthermore, the Kensuke Office Dojo and the current Noah Dojo are both in the countryside of Saitama, right? I'm looking forward to the Dojo Showtown of Saitama. He is a shit starter. He's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I'm obsessed with this press conference in general, but I would like to specifically point out the way that Keno introduces information to the audience. He keeps it limited as though he himself knows very very little. He knows that Kitamiya seems to hate Nakajima, and he knows that they trained in Kensuke office together. However, he presents it as though he knows little else, opening up the story for the viewer. Alicia, you always call Keno the unofficial narrator for the Kensuke office drama. And this (laughs) is the point where we sort of introduce that by acting as an interested audience member, thus standing in for us, the viewer. It's almost like he's pulling back the curtain and beginning the show. The show took place on December 26th, and the match is just extremely fun and tells a tidy story of two men who had fallen out of sync a long time ago. Through the course of the match, their teamwork becomes increasingly more and more natural as both men watch each other carefully and fall back into step with each other. There are a lot of facial expressions to look out for during this match, particularly from Nakashima. At the end of the match, the camera just barely catches the two doing their old fist bump that they used to do as the aggression. This signifies that while the aggression as we once knew it may not be fully back, the two had found something that they once thought that they threw away forever. Starting a little under a month later, on January 16th, 2021, the two began teaming more frequently as just the two of them. On January 31st, Nakajima and Kitamiya faced Sugiura Goon members Takashi Sugiura and Kendo Kashin in a winning effort after Kitamiya pinned Sugiura. After the match, Kitamiya and Nakajima challenged Sugiura and his tag partner Kazushi Sakuraba to a title match for the GHC Tag Team Championship. On February 22nd, after a match in the post-match comments, Nakajima plainly stated, the aggression are back. This is only the beginning, confirming that the two were not only back, but back to their old tag team name as well. However, the two seem to be just as out of sync as before as well. Throughout this run, you always got the feeling that Kitamiya was not as enthusiastic about the team-up as Nakajima, but was bearing it for the sake of Congo. One moment that really stood out to both me and Alicia was the press conference just before their match against Sakuraba and Sugira on March 4th, 2021. The press asked, Kitamiya once said that he hated Nakajima from the bottom of his heart. What is your current impression? To which Kitamiya responded, that was a long time ago. Time is always moving. I will gladly work with Nakajima Katsuhiko, who came to Congo with conviction. I want to win the belt. That's all. A rather cold statement, punctuating that he could work with Nakajima because he was a facet of Congo, rather than a longtime partner of his. On the other hand, Nakajima's response was much warmer, stating, As you can see, we have a strong connection. With the new aggression, we're going to keep the momentum going and win the belt. There is a palpable sense that Nakajima has more value in the aggression as a name than Kitamiya did. He's sweating trying to make this work at this point. 
Yeah, you could really sense that as well. <laughs> On March 7th, 2021, at Great Voyage in Yokohama, Kitamiya and Nakajima did defeat Sakuraba and Sugira in an absolutely stunning match to win the GHC Tag Team Championship for the third, and as of right now, final time. On May 31st, the reunited team managed to successfully defend their title for the first time against the Funky Express team of Mohamed Yane and Shuhei Taniguchi. This was the first time that the team had ever been able to make a successful defense. However, during the match, Nakajima had a slight misstep and accidentally kicked Masakita Mia in the face. <laughs> and what did, what did you say, Alicia? It just takes one bad day, one wrong move with these two. Yep. So after winning the match, Kitamiya delivered a Saito suplex to Nakajima, turning on him. All of Congo came to the ring in disbelief, and Kitamiya grabbed the mic, stating, For 10 years, I've always, 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 always hated you, you bastard. <laughs> Before turning to Keno and genuinely stating, Keno, thanks for everything and leaving the ring, effectively leaving Congo and the aggression behind for good. So worth watching this happen for Keno's, like, incredible acting, like going through all stages of grief in this. Yeah, it's, it's, the whole segment is just stunning, and the match is good too, but um, that whole segment is just really worth the rewatch, or the first time watch if you haven't seen it before. Backstage, Kitamiya states, how many years do you think I've been doing this? As you can see, it only took one misfire. I can't stand it. I pushed myself to the limit, welcomed him into Congo and worked together, but I can't stand it anymore. Nakajima's response backstage was, damn, that little shit. That little shit. I'm going to put an end to this. That little shit. In a stunning interview on July 22nd for Shukan Pro Wrestling, Kitamiya revealed his feelings on his team with Nakajima and on this moment of betrayal itself. From the moment he came to Congo, so last August, we have been on the same page. I had been fighting with strong conviction, but I just couldn't stand it. Even if it was one wrong move or a misfire at Kurikan on May 31st. I guess that's how strained I've felt for the past 10 years since I was a rookie. I have no grudge against the Congo guys, except for that bastard Nakajima. And I feel that I owe them a lot, but he was the one who made it very difficult for me to stay there. It became a very uncomfortable place. So I had no choice but to leave Congo. That's an incredibly heartbreaking thing. He was a founding member. And now he has to leave because Nakajima came in to Congo. It's just such a fascinating, fascinating thing. It really is. It's just sad. It's a sad yeah, storyline. It is. It is. And he was the last founding member to leave as well, which um, did affect Keno very deeply. And it's it was just really sad to see the whole thing. And it's even sadder reading back these comments and knowing that he didn't want to leave, but he felt so strained and uncomfortable uh, being with his senior again. And it's just really heartbreaking, like you said. So this brings us to one of my all-time favorite matches and a stunning climax to their slowly building story, Cage War 2021. I've written about this match extensively on kickout299.wordpress.com 
in an article called Noah Cage War 2021, Stipulation Matches and Choosing Your Destiny. You will definitely want to give that a read if you haven't already. So the very next day after May 31st's event, um, Nakajima and Kitamiya held an emergency press conference to discuss the future of the GHC heavyweight tag title. However, during the press conference, neither man was willing to vacate their titles. Instead of a decision match, both men instead proposed a grudge match between the two of them. Kitamiya took to the mic first and stated, I have hated this bastard for 10 years. It may be a small misfire, but I can't tolerate it. I don't want any unnecessary intervention in this singles match. Therefore, I demand a cage match. He decided the match format on his own. Meanwhile, Nakajima, still furious at Kitamiya's betrayal, said, What the hell are you doing deciding the rules and demanding a match when you betrayed me? You're so pathetic. Every time you talk, you look so small. If you lose, shave your head and go back to your roots. A fight then broke out as both men posed for pictures, both men scrambling on stage to unleash their fury on each other. This was a great press conference. It's one of my favorites today. I love this one. I don't know how they managed to grapple the way that they did on that stage, which was slippery, but that was super impressive. That was such a fun period of time. Very nostalgic now for all of this. Yeah, I kind of want to go back. I, I did rewatch this match, but I'm, I kind of want to go rewatch the whole build now. And so it was decided that on June 26, 2021, the former aggression teammates would face each other in a hair versus hair cage match, the first cage match to ever happen in Noah's history. Leading into this match, there were a lot of questions from the press. There was a lot of information that simply no one seemed to have. So in comes who? Our narrator. <laughs> June 9th, Shoe Pro column. Keno spoke on this match and his perspective on it. Stating plainly, only Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto truly know the whole story of what happened between these two. This line is just really powerful to me and speaks the way the aggression and all Kensuke office alumni tell their stories, which is by Mm -hmm. sort of not telling them. (laughs) However, Keno does speculate further on the match. He spoke on how the training in Kensuke office was painful and strict, wondering that if this was the core reason for Kitamiya's slow-boiling hatred of Nakajima. The cage must feel an awful lot like the dojo, he stated, ruminating on the stipulation. Other media publications seem to agree with this read. The Shupro editorial department from issue number 2127 written just before Cage War on June 17th, 2021, also speculated on some of the deeper inner emotions of the young Mitsuhiro Kitamiya and what he might have felt during his days in the dojo, enduring Nakajima's strict training regimens designed to make Kitamiya the strongest wrestler possible. During the four years and two months that Kitamiya spent at Kensuke office, there must have been many happy and joyful moments. At the same time, however, he must have also experienced a lot of harshness that sometimes seemed unreasonable. Because there were only an elite few allowed in the dojo, it was also possible that the close personal relationships bloomed there have caused Kiyomiya to experience a variety of emotions. 
there's no doubt that these relationships made Kitamiya into a stronger wrestler. That is why Kitamiya's words, I hated you, hated you, hated you, hated you, hated you, hated you, convey so much more than a straightforward, I hate you. So Ichi Shibata, for his July 5th, 2021 article for Encount, also speculated, for Nakajima, it may have been a whip of love, but for Kitamiya, it may have been too much harsh instruction. It's really interesting to me how this amount of speculation was never taken from anything either wrestler said, and that Keno was really the first person to speak out about it. There's that note of Keno guiding and narrating the story for the viewer, opening up a new page in the story that would soon come to life on June 26th during Cage War 2021. And this is what we talked about a lot in the Kensuke Office Diamond Ring episode as well. <laughs> Just yeah. that there's an extensive amount of hearsay, outright hearsay, speculation, and just rumor mongering on Twitter and, and message boards, but it's being driven by outside sources, not necessarily from the wrestlers themselves. And Keno has done a really good job because Keno is so, he's very, he's a, he's a wrestling fan. He knows what people are saying. He's done a really good job of feeding these, these rumors back into the public eye to create intrigue. It's very interesting. And it's funny to see people sort of not able to discern what is kayfabe from what is reality in the situation. But when you track this and, you know, you've tracked this extensively because we've collected so much material now on what these guys have actually said. And we're still collecting things on what these guys have actually said. And we keep trying to go back and piece some of this together. Yeah. It's just, it's fascinating to see people um, not able to discern what is kayfabe from what is the reality of the last several years of just the interpersonal relationships and the wrestling with these guys. Yeah, and that's just it. They really don't say a lot about each other. It's all um, what's written in the press or what's written on message boards, rumors. Um, Keno's really been the one to sort of um, hone this in and turn it into um, something written on paper. But the men themselves, they have been telling the story almost strictly and specifically in the ring, only in the ring, which is really incredible work honestly, because a lot of, you know, written material, that's, you know, what supplementary material, right? Whereas mm -hmm. these guys have been telling the story in the ring and letting other people narrate it for them, which really speaks to their ability as wrestlers. The match itself is just brutal and stunning and a perfect work of storytelling and theatrical drama. From the beginning of the match, you get a beautiful visual of both men climbing inside and Keno taking the responsibility of locking the cage behind them. He's dressed in this bright red suit that he's sort of become synonymous with. But at the time, this was his first time wearing it. And it struck me how much he looked like a master of ceremonies of like a show, hosting these two as they told their tale. The match started very slow, with neither man so much as touching the cage for nearly five minutes. The beginning of this match is mostly grappling, and that harkens all the way back to their 2014 match in a lot of ways. This set the exact scene and confirmed that Keno's words in his column were correct. 
The cage was the Kensuke office dojo. After those five minutes of grappling, Nakajima grabbed Kitamiya and shoved him against the cage, reminding him of how trapped he really was. He was reminding Kitamiya of his place as Nakajima's junior and loudly telling him that the senior would always conquer the junior with no hope for Kitamiya to change that reality. As such, Nakajima dominated the first 15 minutes of the match until Kitamiya was finally able to make a comeback thanks to the cage itself. Kitamiya began to climb the top rope and Nakajima answered by grabbing onto Kitamiya from behind. However, Kitamiya clung onto the links, using them to hold him into place. When you frame the cage as the memory of the Kensuke office dojo, this image is one of Kitamiya growing stronger in the dojo, using his past to support and strengthen himself. He was able to make more offense at this point, and the match became a brutal beatdown between the two, both men drawing blood from each other and becoming more and more drenched in it. All their history was spilled out in this match, their blood mixed together, the viewer incapable of separating one from another. The two have always been permanently linked by their backgrounds and career, but now, with the cage and the blood and the brutal onslaught the two unleashed on each other, it became clear that they would never escape each other. One of my favorites, and easily the most fascinating part of this match, came when Kitamiya climbed the cage and prepared to deliver a death-defying senton from the very top of the cage. Kitamiya missed, with Nakajima rolling out of the way. Later on Twitter, it was revealed that Kitamiya broke two ring boards in the ring from the <laughs> senton, which is altogether extremely horrifying. Um, if any one thing went wrong, Kitamiya would not have been able to stand up in the way he did after. This was also pointed out by Keno in his June 30th column for Shoe Pro magazine. He pointed out that Kitamiya had landed perfectly on the small of his back, preventing serious injury and allowing him to stand back up with his classic fervor and fighting spirit. Keno discusses in his article that there is no way Kitamiya would have been able to make that fall without practicing his sentons over and over again in the Kensuke office dojo 10 years prior until it all became muscle memory. He then states that Nakajima was a strict but doting trainer, forcing Kitamiya to practice falling again and again and again and again until it was perfect. That, that time spent with Nakajima back then may have fueled Kitamiya's hatred, but it also made him stronger, smarter, and an incredible wrestler who could one day surpass his seniors. In this way, Keno writes, Nakajima Katsuhiko dug his own grave. After enduring and shaking off more and more brutal attacks from Nakajima, including two disgusting shoot headbutts, Kitamiya finally gained the upper hand one last time. He delivered two Saito suplexes fueled by nothing but his hatred from the past 10 years, and he defeated his Kensuke office senior. However, later during the backstage comments, Kitamiya succinctly said, this doesn't clear up the grudge I have against him. There, It's still there in the pit of my stomach. After the match came the next part of the stipulation, the haircutting. Masakita Mia unceremoniously destroyed Nakajima's hair, first with a pair of scissors, then later with a set of clippers that quickly got jammed thanks to the blood and sweat in Nakajima's hair. 
What is remarkable and so memorable here, though, was not the cutting itself, but Nakashima's cool and unaffected expression while sitting on that chair. Backstage, Nakashima stated, I feel refreshed while patting his shaved head. I'm going to keep on stimulating you. Enjoy it, he said, seemingly unaffected. Soichi Shibata, for in-count, had my favorite descriptor of this moment, writing, While Kitamiya burns bright red hot, Nakajima flickers like a pale blue flame. The two are filled with unforgivable feelings of kinship and hatred because of their affiliation with Kensuke office. Both men had a lot to say on Nakajima's seemingly casual behavior at this moment. In a really breathtaking interview for Shukro's July 22nd, 2021 issue, Kitamiya states, I beat Katsuko Nakajima in a wire net match and I shaved his head, but well, you saw it. I thought he would go back to the way he felt as a new apprentice and start over with humility, but he kept going with that incessant smile. Even when he lost his hair, he still had a disgusting smirk on his face. I thought he was a piece of shit. He was definitely frustrated, but he dared to act contrary to his feelings. I have always hated that part of him. And here, Alicia, you noted just how cold and cruel Kitamiya always is when talking about Nakajima. But people on Twitter don't really talk about that quite as much as they talk about Kento Miyahara, who doesn't talk about Nakajima at all. It's a it's a real distinct point of, of frustration for me because, and you know, from just talking to me about Kento, I mean, when you go over kento interviews over a span of time he doesn't talk about people like like this and he and he never talks about nakajima and yet people are obsessed with the hearsay that they pick up from twitter and from message boards and they will repeat that as if it's certifiable fact always and yet there is a like very interesting rivalry between these two it is very real and very valid and they've been talking about each other um, you know, particularly over the last couple of years, and Masa has said some of the hardest lines about Nakajima that are on the record, that are part of the story, that are a part of this kayfabe. He has said these things. You can find them. They are verifiable. And no one talks about them, or at least no one in our sphere is talking about them in quite the same way as people love to discuss the hearsay around uh, Miyahara and Nakajima. So that is a point of frustration to me, to be sure, because these comments are um, incredible. I think that like this, (laughs) this like the one that you just read from Masa is like one of my favorites because it's just like, I don't even know if it's cruel because this, and and you and I have talked about this too, the situation between Nakajima and Masa is one where you can almost like, you can absolutely sympathize with Masa, but it's not a situation where you can also damn Nakajima either. Like Mm -hmm. there's, because of the, it's very, there's a lot of gray area in the issues that they have with each other. Um, And it's just something where I just am continuously fascinated by, you know, Masa has said some fascinating things about Katsuhiko that really should get people very interested in these two whenever they clash in the ring. And yet, no, we're obsessed with hearsay that we can't verify with, with you know, Kento and uh, Nakajima from 100 million years ago at this point. Just that stuff doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But I'm hoping that in us 
talking about this and you doing so much incredible work with the translations that we can start getting people to realize just how much content there is around people like Masa and Nakajima. And this is a real story that you can bite into. You don't need to reach for hearsay when you have stuff like this. And I do hope that once Kento and Nakajima have met in a ring again and have sort of put, I guess, like flesh to the story and sort of have created something physical out of the story for the first time in 10 years, um, these rumors will have been put to rest and we'll finally be able to see them work together. And so I think there's something to be said there for people filling in these gaps because nothing has really happened yet. Whereas um, the aggression, they're telling their story and people can see their story. So they're sort of letting them do that without filling in these rumors. It's just very interesting how the wrestling sphere works in that way. But I really do hope that we can... um, draw attention to the real stories going on and and maybe letting the wrestlers tell their stories in the ring. Well, some of that is access, right? Yeah. You know, the way that we have tried to approach things is that we we care very deeply about their words and their perspectives and hearing them tell their stories. And we want to help push that information out into the space that we occupy. So I hope that people realize that there are a lot of people not even just us there are a lot of people on twitter that are trying to do this work and trying to do great translation work and really speaking to story and you know people putting out great reviews in our in our space and i just hope that people start to seek that out more rather than to reach to people who are trying to sensationalize hearsay that's all i'm going to say about that no that's beautifully said that's that's excellently said and i'm glad you've said it so To bring it back just a little bit to, um, I guess, those feelings of frustration and humiliation that Nakajima was sort of denying, he actually talks about this as well in Shufro issue 2138 on September 8th, 2021, so quite a bit after uh, the cage match actually happened. Nakajima was asked in an interview about this moment, and he admitted that he was defeated and humiliated, and the person conducting the interview was actually really surprised but he then stated that he had no choice but to accept it I think this speaks volumes that Kitamiya was able to see right through Nakajima's cool facade and called him out for it months before Nakajima himself ever spoke about this match he was then asked why he didn't let out his frustration during that moment to which he states because it made me feel better I can't be as stubborn as Kitamiya is, he says with a laugh. I'm the type of person who forgets about the past. What I do from now on is more important than worrying about what has already happened. This wasn't the end of their feud, however. Like Kitamiya said, the grudge was still boiling in each of them, and neither of them wanted to give up their title. Kitamiya in Shukro states, Even though I had a falling out with my partner, I still felt that I was the GHC tag team champion. That was that, and there was nothing more than that. As the tag team champion, I have claimed to the belts. I just didn't want to work with that jerk again. With those feelings, Kitamiya nominated Kaito Kiyomiya for his tag partner to challenge Nakajima and a chosen partner to unite the titles. Nakajima chose Manabu Soya, and the match was set for July 22nd. On his decision to team with Kiyomiya, Masa states, 
He seems to be struggling with a lot of issues, but he's always enthusiastic. Above all, he is not a flippant, giggling buffoon like Nakajima. He is a pleasantly honest man, and that's part of the reason I wanted to work with him. He specifically uses the phrase hera hera to describe Nakajima here, which is a Japanese onomatopoeia phrase for laughing foolishly. I couldn't help but get an image of a hyena upon reading this, which reminded me of Akira Hokuto talking about how in order to survive, one must become like a hyena, which we discussed in our last episode. I thought that was just a really interesting connection. Mm-hmm. Kaito and Kitamiya went on to win this match, thus seemingly settling the score between Nakajima and Kitamiya for the time being. However, nothing really changed in their dynamic or the way they saw each other. In fact, Nakajima seemed to buckle down more than ever before. In that September interview for Shupro, Nakajima states, He may have always disliked me, but I always liked him. He is still my favorite cute junior. We were originally in the aggression. We won the GHC tag belts together. And even after I became Kongo, we worked together again. I spent a lot of time with him. I felt a lot of emotions when we fought in the ring. Here, Nakashima is unmistakably fond of Kitamiya, but he is still determined that Kitamiya not only was, but still is Nakajima's cute junior. Despite Nakajima being so good at adapting and so adamant on forgetting the past, he outright refuses to let Masakita Mia be anything more than the junior that he knew way back in Kensuke office. So this brings us to our final two singles matches between the two. What is interesting to note here is that between September 6, 2021 and January 4, 2022, the two were not in a single match together. In that time, Katsuko Nakajima won the N1 Victory Tournament for the second year in a row and challenged Naomichi Marafuji to win the GHC Heavyweight title. It feels incredibly deliberate to me that they did not put Kitamiya in a match with the GHC Heavyweight Champion for nearly five months. Then, on the very first chance Kitamiya received, he pinned Nakajima on January 4th, 2022. I think it really speaks to how much the gap has closed between senior and junior that Kitamiya could immediately pin the champion on the very first chance he got. In fact, when he grabbed the mic after the match, he shouted, the opportunity is always there. You just have to take it from the champion. Use your strength and announce your challenge. I'm Noah too, you bastard. I love that. I love that Masa really like asserted himself there as someone who is equally deserving of, of owning a piece of Noah, right. In the same way that Nakajima has struggled with that, which is just, it was really cool. I was glad that you had translated that. Yeah. And actually um, that was of special interest to our good, um, our favorite writer, Hikaru Inoue, after the challenge was made for January 16th, uh, 2022, that would be in Currican Hall. Inoue writes in Shupro issue number 2163 that Masakita Mia started to stake more of a claim on his own um, I Am Noah. He wore new tights to this um, title challenge on September 16th with the Masa Saito Japan applique lined in green to punctuate Kitamiya's own claim over Noah, reminding everyone that he belonged here as much as everyone else did. So I really like that. 
this match is really remarkable. And Alicia and I, you and I have both stated multiple times that this match is frequently overlooked. It started hot and intense with both men hitting each other with all their emotions and all their strength. There's a lot of equal exchanges in this match from the elbows to the exchange of intense Germans between both men. Hikaru Inoue also points out in his match write-up that Masakita Mia is more relaxed in this match than he ever has been before against Nakajima. Using Kitamiya's reverse showtime as an example, with him trapping Nakajima in the corner and doing Nakajima's signature taunt on him. This is because the space between them had only grown closer and closer. Kitamiya now had victories over Nakajima. He had experience and grit and determination, and he had the gall to reject Nakajima time and time again. He didn't need Nakajima because Nakajima wasn't his senior anymore, and that made Nakajima angry. Nakajima almost looked scared during certain portions of this match and used that fear of Kitamiya overcoming him to fuel his merciless attacks. This was a startlingly close match, but Nakajima's ruthlessness finally won out in the end. However, it had become clear just how much that cage match really closed the distance between the two of them. After the match, for one incredible moment, it looked as though Nakajima had accepted this. He went over to Kitamiya and looked as though he were about to help Kitamiya up and take care of him. Instead, however, he threw the other man out of the ring before grabbing the mic and stating with a smarmy grin, even though you beat me in the past, you can, you can still try to beat me again. You're always welcome to use your persistence and willpower against me. You're pretty cute, after all. This, of course, is dripping in his typical condescending attitude towards Kita Mia. But there is a kernel of acknowledgement there as well. He recognizes that Kita Mia has beaten him before and could beat him again with enough persistence. But Nakajima welcomed the challenge determined to keep his place at the top and to make sure Masakita Mia still feels like a junior compared to him. After the match, Kitamiya posted on Twitter, I will not accept the impossible. I will continue to fight against this reality. So actually that moment really surprised me um, where he throws Kitamiya out of the ring because going into this match and his entire title run, Nakajima's title run up to this point, it felt like he had been accepting a lot of his past and um, right. This whole title run was about, you know, defeating Masato Tanaka for the first time and using Kensuke Sasaki's lariats and winning a match with Akira Hokuto's Northern Lights Bomb. There were all these notes of him evolving and accepting his past and becoming a more complete person. So I expected him to sort of acknowledge Kitamiya and respect him and evolve past being, you know, the senior in the Kensuke office dojo. Mm -hmm. And it, it shocked me at first, but then you had some really interesting thoughts on it that sort of made me realize what was going on here. If you wanted to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so I remember when we were going into this match, and I remember you sort of, we were talking about outcomes, and I yes. remember you predicting that, 
you know, there's a really good chance because of what we've been seeing thematically in this reign that he will acknowledge Masa in a way that um, would make sense for what he had, you know, he had found himself in, in Congo. He was in a really good place, accepting and embracing aspects of his past. Like, it really felt like that was what we were going to see. And then we didn't. We see him throw Masa out of the ring and then throw that ice pack after him, which is such a statement. And it almost feels a little bit contradictory to what we had seen from him prior to that because he has that incredibly emotional battle with Shiazaki in the Budokan which was a very intense story right going into that but that even feels so different to what he is with where he is rather with Masa right by the time we roll around to that fight and what I took away from that fight is that he just is not in a place to acknowledge Masa as an equal. He cannot allow Masa to surpass him. And Masa got so close in that match to well and truly catching up to him on his level and surpassing him. There are points in that match where you can see that Nakajima is afraid. And that is so interesting because he's very careful, Nakajima, about his facial expressions in the ring, especially within this character now that he's had for several years. He's very careful about how he expresses and shows emotion, particularly in the ring. And you can see in that match that he is truly afraid of Kinemiya in that match because he knows that Masa almost has his number, right? And that's extremely, extremely significant and in defeating him and then throwing him out of the ring and throwing the ice pack back out, he is still just putting that distance there and showing Masa, you can't defeat me. It's almost like that relief in the aftermath of having pushed Masa back, held him back again, that he has to lord it over him once again. It's that hubris that Nakajima taps into coming through once again and being able to say, you know, I'm I'm still your senior and I still have this time. I can put this distance between us once again. So I do, I, I find it really fascinating, but you can see in that match, like you were illustrating before, just how close Masa is to that really important win um, between them. And it's going to, it's going to have to come down to the belt because it's not like Masa hasn't defeated him before, but the big win is going to come over the title. That's where we're going to see. I think, you know, Masa has to, has to beat him there. That's going to be the only way that Katsuhiko in Katsuhiko today, that's the only way that he'll be able to really, I think, acknowledge him um, as an equal. So yeah. But what's just also so interesting to me is that, you know, Shiazaki and Axis, like we're going to talk about that extensively later into 2023, because it's a really interesting but often misunderstood storyline. You know, there's there's all these things that happened to uh, Katsuhiko during this reign, and then he goes right into the Fujita uh, storyline as well from here. There is no one, though, that makes Nakajima sort of step back from the growth that he's had as a as a character and as a wrestler, quite like Masa. Masa gets right under his skin, acts very, you know, unaffected, which is something that really gets under Masa's skin, but (laughs) Masa gets under his skin. And that's that reaction, that throwing him out of the ring and throwing the ice pack. That's actually a huge tell from Nakajima, but it's something that only Masa can get out of Nakajima. Not even Shio could break Nakajima quite the same way that Masa can. And that's, that's, fantastic that's the aggression that's the rivalry yeah thank thank you for saying that that's exactly it is that um masa's just that exception he's that one thing that nakajima just can't 
get over and let go. And in turn, Masa doesn't let him go either. They're just perfectly in tune to get in ch- under each other's skin. Like, like you said, just a, it's an incredible rivalry. So months passed and things did change. Nakajima lost the title to Kazuyuki Fujita on February 23rd, 2022. And both he and Kinamiya were on fairly even footing going into the N1 victory in the late summer of 2022. Both men had no title and they needed to make a big impact in the tournament in order to turn things around for their year. When the match cards were announced for the tournament, it was revealed that the two of them would not only be in the same block, but they would also be the very first match of the entire tournament, opening the show on August 11th, 2022. As this was a tournament match, there was no build to the match, and there was very little said about it. However, there's an unmistakable weight to these two being the opening match for Noah's big annual heavyweight tournament. They are the flag bearers of the promotion in their own right. And all fans of the product know the significance of the two of them fighting each other at this point. Them fighting each other in the first match feels less like an opening match for a show and more like an opening ceremony, which I actually really liked. Mm -hmm. That being said, neither man could really afford to lose this match as this was their very first one in the N1 and one that could set the tone for the entire tournament. So they entered the Yokohama Budokan with that weighing heavily on their mind. The match itself is really short, but it packs in a lot in just over 10 minutes. They waste no time trying to destroy each other, running at each other as soon as the bell rings, with a vicious lariat from Kitamiya onto Nakajima. The match continued at a sprint from that point on, with blistering elbows of increasing brutality. Neither man truly remained in control for very long, truly showing just how far they had come. It also showed how well the two knew each other, with each man doing the other's signature move during the match, Nakajima with the Saito suplex and Kitamiya with the brain buster. They had learned them in the same place and each had as much claim to the move as the other, and they showed that here during the match. Still, this match wasn't a full departure from their past matches, with Masa viciously targeting Nakajima's left leg and using his fortitude and resilience to shrug off Nakajima's attacks, as if answering his call from their match earlier in the year. Nakajima even switches legs towards the end of the match, kicking from his right leg to counter Kitamiya's attack, so very similar to their 2016 match. In a lot of ways, this match was an echo of all their matches before, but this time the offense was much more evenly split between the two of them, showing just how far Kitamiya had come to chasing Nakajima down. And in return, Nakajima didn't grin or toy with Kitamiya. He didn't even do his showtime taunt on the other man. He took this match really seriously. About nine minutes into the match, just before the end, Kitamiya tries to pull Nakajima up for an attack, only for Nakajima to cling to the ropes. Even when Kitamiya drags him away, Nakajima keeps reaching desperately. There is an unmistakable fear there. Like you mentioned, Alicia, there is, it's palpable. Mm-hmm. Something that is just rarely seen in Nakajima's eyes, this desperation that can only be brought out, like you said, by Masa Kitamiya. After the match, Only Nakajima made comments, stating, 
First match, Masakita Mia. I've been through a lot with him. We've been through a lot, but I can't let him hold me back in this important N1. There are things only I can do, things only I can deliver to Noah. So keep your eyes on me from now on. There's a shocking level of acknowledgement here. Nakashima did not call Masa his cute junior after the match, and he seemed to insinuate that Kitamiya had the ability to start his N1 off on a loss. Nakashima treated him as an obstacle to topple rather than a minor inconvenience, such as back in Global League 2018. It almost seems as though Nakashima has, however slowly, begun to really accept that Masa Kitamiya is a true rival to him and won't simply be his cute junior forever. However, this rivalry isn't over, and there's a long winding road ahead for both of these men. Only time will tell if they ever truly make it to equal footing, or if Masakita Mia will one day finally surpass his career-long senior. So, Kitamiya and Nakajima have not actually shared a ring together since November 23rd, 2022. This does in some ways feel really intentional to me, especially now that we're on the cusp of Kento Miyahara and Katsuhiko Nakajima meeting in the ring for the first time in 10 years. When these two meet in the ring, it's always purposeful, and their moments together always demonstrate the history, bond, and tumultuous relationship they have cultivated over the past 12 years. And I feel that in keeping them separate during this storyline about Kensuke Office Diamond Ring, they are sort of speaking by not speaking, like we've said that they've always done, right, Alicia? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that when they meet again, it's going to be just as purposeful and bring back that same story. So it's almost as though they're sort of letting Kento take over that tale for now. Um, But I do think we're going to come back to the aggression sooner rather than later. Their rivalry and storyline is something that I think is overlooked by a lot of fans in wrestling. And we've talked about that at length during the episode too. So I'm really, really happy that we could share this history and the depth of it with you guys today. Um, I can't say that there will be a plan for these two or where their story will go next, but I can tell you that the story means a lot to both of these two men. This much is apparent from the way they act around each other and the way they talk about each other and that way they have never let this story drop for the past 12 years. No matter what the booking does or where Noah takes us, you can always count on these two to put on a great match and tell an incredible story. And I can't wait to see where it goes next. Thank you all for listening and for supporting Kickout. As always, if you haven't done so already, please leave us a five-star review on Spotify or your preferred podcast platform. It really helps us out and more people can find Kickout when you do this. If you would like to help us in our quest to have more professionally translated materials for our episodes, please consider heading over to our Ko-fi page. That's ko-fi.com slash kickout299. For our work cited on this episode and more, please go to our blog, kickout299.wordpress.com. If you need to get in touch with us, follow us and send a DM on our Twitter, that's kickout299, or email us at kickoutat299 at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at kickout299. You can find me, Rachel, at milkystar, that's M-I-I-K-Y star. And you can find Alicia at Shirinui Kai with two I's. 
We also have a link tree where you can find all the different ways to keep in touch with us. That will be at linktr.ee slash kickout 2.99. And we also now have an Instagram where you can keep up with all of our latest releases. And that is also at kickout 299. We have some future episodes coming your way. On March 7th, we will be discussing storytelling in stardom with It's Dana Now on Twitter. We're really excited about that. We have a To Be Determined episode coming out on March 21st. Then on April 4th, Sarah Kershak will be on to celebrate the release of her new book, as well as discussing a little bit about Daisuke Sasaki. So look forward to that. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you soon.